Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit world on the number one public transportation executive interview podcast. And today we're excited to bring you some headline news from around the industry and how people are responding to COVID. We've also got an in-depth interview with Magda Robertson from Torrens Connect in Australia, the third and final uh, podcast interview from our Australia series this last month or so. We've had uh, two, tr- two tremendous guests. Actually, you know, when we go all the way back to the beginning of September, Andy Byford, uh, the CEO of Transport for London now, but at one time was an Australian transit executive. I actually just talked to him again today about something. And then Neil Scales, we head on from Queensland, Australia, and Rod Staples from New South Wales. And today, Magda Robertson from Torrance Connect, a great leader there in uh, in this transit system. I'm excited uh, for you to listen to that. And then, of course, we've got Mike's Minute, and uh, Alea Carey talks about our messaging minute, which is very exciting this time. I think it's a great show. And... Um, and then we're going to take a look at the future of public transportation, which is uh, a little bit different now. I talked today some about marketing our transit services to families. Uh, make sure you stay and listen to the entire podcast so you can hear that final portion. Basically, my friend Lauren Skyver, who is CEO of Sunline Transit in Coachella Valley, California, likes to say, we can't sell what people aren't buying or you shouldn't sell what people aren't buying. And if transit ridership continues to be a little lower, which it does. I just reviewed the numbers from UITP from all the major cities across the world. And most systems are now at about 60 to 70% ridership in their main services. Sometimes the subway like the tube in London or the New York subway is lower than 50% still, but buses, bus service in general in major cities, as of you know this week in the middle of October, 2020, ridership's back up to over 50% in most cities. In a lot of cities, it's up to 60 some percent and some even touching on 70%. Some cities in Africa are way over that up to 90%, like Lagos, I talked to them recently. And um, so, uh, but, but other systems we're trying to figure a way back. And one way is for commuter services to maybe consider marketing their services into the cities in nights and weekends to encourage people to try the train or the bus for the nightlife or for ball games or for on the weekends, you know, more just tourist related activities. And another way to do it is to market our systems for toward families. When I used to run the MTA in Baltimore, while we had 26,000 school children every day ride the service, we never really marketed our service while I was there to families. And a lot of systems are looking at new, new, um, market base to increase their ridership. And that's one I think we can look at. So stay tuned to the end of today's podcast. And I talked for about 10 minutes about ways you can do that, some specific examples of what you can do to improve your system. But I wanna touch on a couple of items before we get into our newsmaker interview with Magda that are happening with regard to COVID-19. The Metro North Railroad and Long Island Railroad up in New York City are piloting a new technology to filter and purify air inside rail cars using an electrical field to generate a wave of ionized particles to destroy airborne viruses, bacteria, and particulate matter, including COVID-19, according to News and Mass Transit Magazine this week. The MTA says it's the first agency in North America to use and to test the technology. The pilot follows a successful proof of concept conducted by Metro-North over the summer. The air filtration and purification system, which was developed by Norbreak Company and its Merrick North American division, I know those guys, I used to use them uh, you know, here in Maryland, uh, is incorporated into the railroad's existing ventilation system. It enhances in-car filter air filtration 
which already filters air 30 times an hour or once every 120 seconds, exceeding CDC standards for certain medical facilities and far surpassing standards for classrooms and restaurants. In partnership with the MTA, researchers with the US Environmental Protection Agency will test the technology to determine its effectiveness in meeting the needs of public transit. Uh, Catherine Rinaldi, who is Metro North president, said, as more and more customers return to Metro North trains, they wanna be confident that we're doing everything we can to keep them safe and healthy. If the pilot proves successful, she continues, not only does this new air purification technology kill COVID-19, it kills any virus, including the standard flu or bacteria that cause the common cold, and even particulate matter like diesel fumes. The benefits provided by this new system would last well after the pandemic has ended. So pretty cool stuff. And we'll keep you on in tune with it um, as it continues, as they run this test pilot program. But I thought that was great. One other big kind of item that's been happening in the transit world in COVID is the rise of microtransit. And I wanted to tell you about one that's happening uh, in Ohio. Coda uh, has partnered with VIA, the company that does that, to provide on-demand service in central Ohio communities. Um, it is the Central Ohio Transit Authority, CODA. They've provided a first of its kind mobility solution in parts of Columbus, Kahana, and New Albany, Ohio. The new service is the only full-time on-demand bus service in the United States, their press release says. In the first three weeks of service, CODA plus bus on-demand customers averaged 13-minute wait times to be transported to any transit stop within their defined zone. And um, the chief innovation officer of CODA, Sophia Moore, um, who I know said, as Central Ohio gets back to work, CODA is not just resuming some of our suspended service, we are reimagining it, which is great. Through our partnership with Via CODA Plus Bus On Demand is providing residents uh, with service that meets their immediate and specific needs. And uh, they're transporting multiple customers to hail a transit vehicle at a nearest transit stop through their app. Uh, and it, it is um, wait times between transit vehicles and those on some lines has ranged between 30 to 45 minutes. And this new dynamic on-demand transit is a powerful tool to expand uh, access to professional economic and social opportunities in the Columbus region, they say. So again, uh, a great new approach of uh, kind of a full-time on-demand service. These micro-transit pilots, you know, it's uh, my buddy, uh, Robbie Mackinnon at Kansas City Area Transit Authority really started a trend, I think, a few years ago when he opened up Ride KC Freedom, which at first was just for people with disabilities. It was a micro-transit service for them kind of a, their own version of that. And, uh, and then it expanded to anybody who wants to ride and they charge a little bit more for people without a disability or diverse ability as Robbie likes to call it. And so microtransit really is finding a niche market. And I just wanted to comment on that today and say that I'm interested to hear what you're doing. If you have a brand new service you're starting in the microtransit area, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Shoot me an email at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com. And I'll love to hear from you about what you're doing, what the results are, how you're hearing it. And we'll share that with our listeners here on Transit Unplugged, which as you know, is heard in 99 countries around the world. I get emails every week from people in countries all over Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, and of course, here in North America as well. People that are listening to the program. Um, I've just been invited to share at a, uh, as a guest lecture at a university in India this week. Uh, as a result of folks listening to the podcast and uh, just lots of opportunities. And we'll share with all of them what you're doing if you let me know what it is. Thanks so much for being with us today. Now, stay tuned for a great rest of the program.
Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Excited today to be with you on another episode of Comfort's Corner. Today, we're interviewing Magda Robertson, General Manager of Torrens Connect in Australia, the land down under. It's so exciting to be with you. We're talking by Zoom, uh, but uh, I feel like I'm there again. I remember being there and I loved it in Australia. Thanks, Paul. I agree. I'm super excited to be part of this show. Yeah. So, um, Today, we're going to be talking to you some about your career and this brand new job you've gotten in the middle of COVID, you know, and how that feels. I, I just was interviewing a lady yesterday on a, on a webinar, a national webinar here, and she's the same thing. She's a good friend of mine, and she started her job in Savannah, Georgia, in the middle of all this, and it's quite yeah. an experience, Magda. So, um, but first off, I mean, just tell me, how are you doing? How are things going generally in, in, in Australia? I know you guys have recently had a, a spike in Melbourne of COVID, but just kind of give me, give every, give our listeners a general picture of what's happening. You're the, you're the third uh, of our interview series on, on, with Australian CEOs back to back. And so I, I think people would like to know, kind of keep up to date on what's going on right now. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's tracking along. We did have a second wave. Um, Melbourne is still in its infancy. I think they're releasing some of the other restrictions. Uh, I'm in Adelaide. Adelaide is, uh, is a city uh, just north I guess maybe west of, of the East Coast. So I'm in the middle of Australia at the bottom, very bottom there. Okay. Uh, beautiful state. We're known for our red wine. Uh, so Australia, Adelaide is, uh, Adelaide's releasing the restrictions. So from last night, we're, we're able to dance at weddings. We're able to have uh, bigger venues now. One of the restrictions, one of the odd restrictions that we did have was we couldn't stand and drink. So people had to go to a bar, sit down and drink. So that's been lifted right before the Christmas period because I can tell you it was a challenge to organize a Christmas party because everyone had to have their bums on seats. Uh, so this is exciting for us because now all the venues are opening up and you can stand, you can mingle, you can drink, you can chin chin. Uh, so things are tracking along well in Adelaide. I think Adelaide's probably one, one of the luckiest states. It didn't hit us as hard as it hit the East Coast and the West Coast. So uh, fingers crossed we'll be out of it by Christmas completely. Well, that's great, Magda. So um, I'm glad that you guys are doing well down there and you're part of the country. Tell us about, you know, where you've been and what you've done. You've got a really interesting background. I do have an interesting background. Um, I started my career in law enforcement. I always often say this to people, you're, you're born a police officer and you really, you really got to get it out of your system. So I started my career in law enforcement in a counterterrorism first response unit. I was one of four females. It was an awesome career. I was young, I was vibrant, I was into exercising. So it was a career that I really, really ravished in. Um, and then came September 11th and things got really serious, right? Uh, you know, I got sent to different parts of the state, different parts of the world. Um, and there came a point in my career where there was a real threat and I had to go into the airport. I was part of the bomb squad. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a turning point for me because at that point I was young. Um, you know, I wasn't earning a lot of money. Uh, police, fire, ambulance, teachers, then they don't, they don't earn great money for what they do. I had people in my earphone saying, you've got 30 minutes to 30 seconds to detonation. You've got 10 seconds, nine, eight, 10. And it was one of those out of body experience. It was one of those out of body experience where I went, I, I can't do this anymore. I, you know, I need to live my life. I, I need to move on to the next big thing. Loved it. Uh, at that point, transport uh, was going through a huge shift purely because of September 11th. Transport is a critical infrastructure, right? Uh, we, we rely on it. People, vulnerable people rely on it. So I moved into security within transport and I, I loved it. I went from one 
um, you know, one career to the next. And it was all about, um, you know, security transport. So I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I came in as a senior transit officer, so that the law enforcement on transport in Sydney. Loved it, worked through the ranks, got into operations, uh, got an opportunity in Melbourne to run their passenger rail. Uh, both Sydney and Melbourne are passenger transport modes. Uh, and then I got this opportunity to run uh, the trams in Adelaide. So I was blessed enough to run passenger rail, which is the heavy rail. And now I've got this wonderful opportunity to, uh, you know, run the light rail and buses. Well, that, that uh, going back to your comment about your career, when the, when the, when the countdown, that's just like on the movies, you know, they're, oh, they're, you know, a Bruce Willis movie, he's waiting for it to come down and try to figure out is the red wire, or the white wire. It, it, it wasn't, well, I wish it was like a movie. It wasn't quite like yeah. that, but it was, it, it was at Sydney, it was Sydney airport. Um, you know, really, uh, um, they took it, the, 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 the police took it as a real threat. Uh, yeah. so that was, that was, uh, it was, it was a pivotal moment for me because I really, I, I was you. too young and I wasn't, I wasn't one of those, I wasn't Bruce Willis. So I was dying, willing to die for the cause. Uh, so I had, I moved on. Yeah. 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 Well, now you're keeping the transit system safe and secure and running efficiently, right? So, I love um, it. So tell us about, Tor yeah, tell us about Torrance Connect, you know, it's a brand new service and kind of give us the background, how it interacts with, with, yeah. the, uh, with Adeline Metro Operations and all that. So it, it, it's not a brand new service. It is an existing uh, trans public transport service that's been, uh, I think, Adelaide Tram, the Glengarry Glen Tram, uh, it is a tram that's been around for many years. I think it's one of the first tram um, modes in Australia, I'd say. Uh, what's okay. happened in Adelaide is they've privatised it. It's a similar model that they have in Melbourne. Uh, the government decided to privatise sections of the transport. Torrance Connect won the bid for the light rail and the buses. It's called the North-South Contract. Uh, Torrance Connect is a joint venture between transit, um, transit systems, UGL and John Holland. So we're, we're, we're a special combined joint venture. Is the contract new? That is correct. So the okay, contract yeah, yeah. is new. Uh, it is an AE contract. Uh, right now, there is a huge transition piece uh, where the heavy rail is being privatized. The, uh, you know, the, the winning bid went to KD. Uh, so it's a big shift for Adelaide. Uh, it is a positive shift. Uh, it, it is all about the efficiency. It's all about keeping the network running. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the positive things about the tram network, no one really noticed during the transitions that it was privatised. So that is something that I'm very proud of. That's good, customers yeah. Will, customers will slowly feel a difference, where, and that'll be cosmetic. Uh, there'll be a difference of more efficiency, a better timetable, uh, and just, a, a, I guess, a very customer-focused service. So tell us a little bit about the service itself. I know you guys do about 26, is it, am I... Maybe the numbers I have aren't right. So you tell me. You're doing around 20, 26,000 trips a day? or That is that is definitely 100% right if it involves heavy rail um, because both mo both modes have been separated. Uh, it, it's quite different. For the tram part, I've, I do two, 426 trips a day. Uh, the buses, I think, roughly around 2,000 trips a day. Uh, Torrance Connect as a whole, we have 450 staff thereabouts. Uh, I have 178 buses in the depot and 24 trams, two different depots. There's a bus depot, there's a tram depot, um, and it, it's, 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 a, it, it's a really smooth operation. You know, the, the thing about Adelaide is 
it is a it is a, compared to Sydney and Melbourne. It's a much smaller city. Uh, it, it, uh, we don't suffer as much uh, traffic. So there is a, I guess in Adelaide there is a shift for using your car a lot more than a major city. Uh, but we have a really user friendly systems. For example, I can you know jump on a tram. I can jump on a bus. There's everything's well connected. Uh, and it's something we're exploring further down. How how do we connect that even better? How do we um, maximise that transport journey for people? Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship and leadership, with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. This week, I'd like to keep on the theme of the future leaders in transit and this year's top 40 under 40 list specifically the idea of thought leadership. Thought leadership is typically mentorship and leadership on a grand scale. It's when people try to change the vision of something overall for mass consumption, users of the service, the item, or the demographics that will benefit from it. As we look back in time in transit, it was not too long ago that someone for the first time decided to try onboard fare collection, surveillance cameras, new scheduling software, battery electric buses, tire pressure gauges, the list goes on. Both inside the bus and inside the agencies that provide transit, people come up with ideas for change that will make things easier, more accessible, more serviceable for both those they serve and those that carry out support of that service. The one thing about all these ideas is that someone was not afraid to bring the idea to the forefront, test or pilot the idea for the benefit of others, and report out and share their findings and results. This is leadership at its finest, which there is lots of in transit. Looking back to earlier this year, this directly aligns with one of Paul's prior podcasts on how to future-proof your agency. As thought leaders continue to lead us in adapting to the new way of doing things and the challenges of 2020, leadership is running rampant in transit. One of my mentors once asked me what I thought made a great leader. I simply replied, the fact that you're asking me for input already shows your leadership. Have a great day, keep kind, and thanks for listening. Check. You've met him, but maybe our listeners have it. Ben is uh, a good buddy of mine, a colleague in Australia that works with trapeze. Ben, did you have a question for Magda? Yeah, Magda, I was wondering. So we have, um, you know, there's all these departments that need to be communicating. You have an integrated system across trams and buses. Um, and I want to ask you a question around technology. So if we think back to a point where there was no technology, all of this stuff was being managed by paper and pen and handoff communication, word of mouth, face-to-face, those sorts of things. Yeah. We're now moving to a world where we're automating all those processes, creating efficiencies. People can communicate without doing things face-to-face. And some, some transport organizations are anywhere from the beginning of that journey to the end. So I just wanted to ask you, um, how have you seen the technology has been able to um, you know, benefit your operation in your experience and, and help you through certain times of uncertainty, similar to what we're going through now? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I think, for, obviously, as a, this is a great example, as, as a franchise now to the government, uh, we do have key performance indicators. And, uh, you know, as an organisation, we want to monitor data and to monitor that data, it, it's about the patronage and it's about uh, incidents and it's about, um, you know, 
revenue services. So the concept of that is just so much easier to manage these days because, you know, when we have this technology where people tap on with their card, uh, you know, that's all data gathering. We can always, uh, we're able to read where, where's the maximum data, where's the, where's the maximum patronage, you know, where are people really getting on our trams and do we need to provide more service because the patronage is, is rising. Obviously in COVID, everyone's feeling the same pain, patronage is down. People are very hesitant to jump on public transport. Um, and it's really hard to communicate that to the public because certainly for my business, you know, we do three cleans a day. Uh, we do additional cleans uh, to give the public assurance that our trans are safe, that they're clean. And uh, so, you know, it, patronage data is really critical. Right now in Adelaide, we've just released uh, the tap on, tap off for your Visa and MasterCard, uh, which is, you know, I guess in the Eastern States, that's something that was rolled out probably 12 months ago. So we've just rolled that out. That is, uh, you know, that is fantastic technology because again, it's all about just generating that data for us to, to manage our services better and, and read the patronage and read where the customers are getting on, where they're getting off and how do, how do we smooth, if, you know, if, if everyone on my tram gets off at Vic Park or they get off at, you know, let's say Rundle Mall, um, do I have enough bus connections if they want to continue that journey? Do we have enough uh, bike uh, racks to for them to jump on a, a you know to the botanic gardens? So it, it is critical during COVID. Obviously, uh, Zoom. <laughs> it, you know, I think the most common quote of, of of the last six months is, "I think I'm on mute." I think I've heard yeah. that a hundred times. Yeah, that's the catchphrase. Uh, or, or, hey, you're on mute. I think I've heard that so often. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is critical. It's critical to keep uh, keep in touch with people, keep in touch with the stakeholders, keep in touch with the government. Uh, all the business went into shutdown, right? So uh, people went home, worked from home. You know, in transport, which is critical infrastructure, we didn't have that luxury. We, we came into work. So for me to touch base with all my admin staff that end up working from home, you know, that's super critical. That's super critical to have that FaceTime, to touch base, to make sure everyone's okay. Uh, I've got to say productivity was fantastic. Uh, I don't know how the rest of the world thinks. I can honestly put my hand on my heart and say when my staff went home, uh, I, they delivered. They delivered and I feel people had just more time to deliver uh, quicker, better. And, they, and I honestly feel that people were just so willing to pick up your phone calls. Uh, I've never been in a world where everyone picked up my phone calls. I think uh, actually what's happened is because so many people are working at home, it's kind of hard to put a hard dividing line between start and stop time. So many people, I've seen statistics on this, are actually working a lot more. Uh, yeah. Home. I know, you know, yeah. I've worked at my home for a while, but, you know, I work whenever, like right now when I'm talking to you. It's nighttime yeah. for me. So, um, but, and it's morning for you. You're ahead of me. Actually, it's tomorrow. How is tomorrow, by the way? Do you get my lottery numbers yet? Ah, no, uh, yes. But how was <laughs> yesterday? Like My yesterday was great. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you brought up a really valid point because uh, everyone's saying work from home is such a benefit, uh, you know, but then you've got the, the other spectrum of that. You know, you've got people that have got kids at home that got, uh, you know, daycare was shut. There was no daycare for a, a certain amount of time. So, you know, you had mum and dad at home trying to manage two kids uh, whilst working. So you had that 
ability to switch off for a couple of hours and then log back on when the kids have gone to sleep. You know, I had a lot of people that would all of a sudden appear online at 7 p.m. and work till 9 p.m. because they had to hang out with the kids at lunchtime because they had no other options. There was no daycare. Right. All those support services shut down. So uh, it's point. opened up a whole realm of possibilities for everyone. Yeah, and really, like Ben said, technology is the way that people are able to adapt. I've been doing a talk all around the world. As a matter of fact, um, I think I just did it in Queensland, Australia. I did a staff meeting for them there uh, with Neil Scales. Um, and we talked, I talked about how to future-proof your transit system, 10 ways to future-proof your transit system. And several of them have to do with technology. So uh, just before the COVID shutdown, I was in a big transit system in Canada. And I went into yeah. the dispatch office. I looked up on the wall and I could not believe what I saw. There was a piece of paper, a big piece of paper, but it had the parking lot of the bus garage up there with all the lots, right. all the spots numbered. And somebody had gone around like we used to do in the 1980s and they'd written yeah. down the numbers on, of each bus on the lot. And I said to them, are you kidding me? This is how you keep track of this? How long ago was this done? Well, I don't oh. know. And, and, you know, we are in 2020s, people. Uh, you've got to have that today more than ever. You have to know where your vehicle is. It can't be based. And you have to know where it's at on your lot. You know, um, they're bringing back buses for cleaning more often now. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can't have yeah. your drivers and your utility people looking all over for that vehicle. I mean, tell, talk to us about that some, Magda, the importance of having, you know, the latest and greatest technology in order to make yeah. sure your system can function in a, in a new world yeah. like we're in today. So fleet management and obviously train control systems are critical. Um, it, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing more critical to an op critical operational, uh, you know, environment to, than to know where your rolling stock is. So I'm going to use uh, trains as an example or trams. Uh, you know, it's a critical safety critical system. If you, I certainly have been in a position where uh, the organisation I was working for, you know, had black spots, which means my train controls essentially didn't know where the tram or train was. You can't function like that. You can't function on humans making the right the decision for the right reason. Why? Because uh, we're, we're humans. We make mistakes. It's always the engineering solution that works and train control systems, fleet management systems. These are really critical systems that, um, you know, that control the mechanisms of what you do. If I, if I for example, had to write every tram that's in my depot every night, uh, that's ludicrous, right? Because, uh, you know, you should be able to, a computer should be able to tell you this is where the tram is, should go. This is uh, where it should be because at, in the morning, the timetable indicates that, that that's the first train that's coming out. Uh, it, it's critical. Uh, and I don't have to tell you that, Paul. Uh, working for Trapeze, you know, it's an organisation that's technology-based, so you guys understand the criticality of such systems. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Every transit person I know has a warm, happy memory of their first experience of public transit. For a lot of us, it was an early transit trip or a school field trip to an agency. For others, it was a special book or movie or a television show. I've been thinking about how to raise the next generation of transit fans, aficionados, geeks, and advocates, and especially how to reach kids who right now are still spending a lot of their time at home. 
One workaround for our current circumstance is to offer age-appropriate media to homeschool groups or to the many, many other home study groups that have popped up, particularly on Facebook. You can find local groups by searching for hashtags like homeschool, learning at home, or unschooling. Now, some of these groups you have to be a parent to join or a teacher to join. So if you can't offer resources directly on the group's page, reach the widest possible audience from your own social media pages using those kinds of hashtags in your own posts. I'd also love to see agencies producing short, simple videos aimed at really little kids about transit basics. This evergreen content could feature basic mechanical segments along with the operators and other frontline transit staff kids will eventually be engaging with. A lot of the youngest kids are obsessive about machines and the people who run them. I know mine were. If you'd like to talk about ways to reach future, future transit riders or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Let me ask you now, where do you go from here? What's next for you guys at Torrance Connect? Uh, I think, you know, it is about the patronage. Uh, how do we now ensure that the public feels safe enough to get back on our trams? Our patronage is creeping up. Uh, we've, uh, people are going back to the offices. One of the interesting things about uh, unlearned behaviours, we've now got people going back to the office and we've got people slapping our trams with their cars because it's an unlearned behavior. People have stayed at home now. There's a mass amount of cars in the, in the city. Uh, so the, for, the way forward right now, the things that are really critical for me right now is it's educational campaigns. As silly as that sounds, you know, you're thinking, Magda, you're the GM. You should be focusing on, uh, you know, the timetable, more streamlined services. Certainly we have areas in this business that are doing that right now. The critical area for me is I have, I've had a really big influx of vehicle accidents um, that are hitting our trams. So uh, right now that's a focus for me because I need to, with, along with the RAA, which is the road authority, we need to get an educational campaign out there to teach people how to behave around trams again because people have just forgotten. They've forgotten because they're used to driving around their suburbs, driving around their local areas. So there's stuff on my radar that are, uh, that are really important. Uh, there is stuff on my radar that are, you know, the three months, six months, 12 months. Uh, the world has changed. Um, what does that look like for transport? Transport is an essential service. We are a public service. In my, very, two, two trains of thoughts on this. Two trains, touche. Yeah, no intended. intended. <laughs> two trains of thought on this. Uh, people are saying, you know, we've changed the way we work. We're going to stay at home a lot more. Uh, things are never going to go back to the way they were. I disagree with that statement. I think we are creatures of habit. Yes, we enjoyed this, uh, you know, this lullaby time that we had. And I certainly did enjoy spending time with my family. I think we're going to go back to normal. So my, my focus in the next 12 months is patronage will rise. We are going to go back to our bad habits. Some say bad. I think they were great habits. People, we're, we're, we're creatures we're social creatures. We, we are going to go back to the offices. So my 12 months is planning that um, increase in patronage. Uh, we're looking at timetables. How do we run the timetable better? Uh, you know, how do we provide a better customer experience? How do I assure the public that our trams are clean and safe to travel on? That's great. Yeah, that's true. I, I went back, you know, you mentioned 9-11 earlier. 
Um, and that's the, really the other analogous situation I can think of. Yeah. Um, when, when a big thing happened that affected everybody, you know, here in America, yeah. people were freaked out and didn't want to ride in airplanes. So I went back and looked at the data uh, yeah. online and it took 18 months for passenger counts to get back to where they were in airlines. And I think for yeah. commuter services, especially commuter trains, I used to run one yeah. called the Mark train in Maryland that went into DC. I think for commuter trains and commuter buses, that may be right. Um, it may take 12 to 18 months, but I think for the core cities, people are going to get back on the bus. I mean, I was on the, I was on a, an event with um, a CEO of Lagos, Nigeria last month. And she said they were already back to 95% ridership. She said, but you know, our passengers are largely day laborers, yeah. people that don't have any other options. So it all That's depends right. on where you're at or the That's type right. of service you have. But I really do think we're going to get back to 80, 90%. Yeah. Commuter services will probably take a little bit longer. And to be honest with you, uh, actually, a guy that was in Australia for a while, Phil Verster, I don't know if you recognize that name, but now he's in Toronto running Metrolinks, and he runs Go Trains, and he told me, and so, actually to Rod Staples, that, um, you know, for the commuter trains uh, that brought people in from the suburbs, the morning and afternoon peaks are down, definitely, and they may not ever get back to where they were because the white-collar professional workers that work in the tall buildings in downtown and the big cities have figured yeah. out hey, I don't have to go to work every day. Why would I do that if I don't have to? And so yeah. they may never come yeah. to work every day. So sure. in order to make sure that we are, you know, not selling what people aren't buying, we got to figure out what they are buying. And what they're buying now might be, okay, how about nights and weekends? What about the nightlife yeah. in downtown Sydney or downtown Adelaide? You can go in and see a ball game, go into the nightlife. And so yeah. Yeah. They're, they're starting to realize, um, you know, changing yeah. the markets. So interesting enough that you said that because I, one of the movements that we've seen in Adelaide is certainly that the patronage during the day uh, is, is increased beyond what it used to be. So I've got this really weird thing happening at the moment where um, I, sometimes I get a delay in service because of uh, traffic. Uh, and that's because we share some of the roads with the with the cars yeah. and, then pa and, and, and passenger movement. So now all of a sudden my trams are fully, fully at maximum capacity at 12 o'clock in the day, which is just so unusual to what it used to be. So prior to that, it was always the peak hours, you know, right. people, um, wonderful culture down here when it's busy on the trams, people just jam in and they're happy to jam yeah. in and support each other. At times have changed, it's COVID. Um, but now it's the crowds in during the day that are really jumping on our trams. We have a free service within the CBD. You think they're going to lunch or something and people are just dr jumping on yeah. the train? Yeah, 100%. People are now more, you know, if they do go to the office because they've had that lull where they've been at home, they're more inclined to now step out and sit in the park. Everyone misses the world, I think. Yeah. So now they'll jump on a tram. It's a free service through the city. So a lot of movement at very different hours, like you said. People are exploring things and exploring public transport and thinking, I can do this at a different time. It's not always about the peak hour anymore for me. So yeah. that is a challenge in itself because, you know, at a peak, you run less trams. So it's something we're looking at. That's good. Yeah, I think, I think we have to adapt. Another thing, and yes. we're running out of time here, but, but uh, we could talk for, for another hour. But um, there is a, a lot of people had in place what they call in America coop plans, not a chicken coop, but COOP, which stands for Continuity of Operations Plans. Yeah. A lot of government agencies had that. I was talking with the maybe, I don't know, half dozen CEOs this week about that. None of them had a pandemic plan in their coup plan. It was like, you know, okay, my building gets damaged or there's a hurricane or a tornado yeah. or a flood, but nothing like this, you know, unseen 
enemy, which came in and affected so many people. So I think that's another thing people are going to do. Don't you think is yeah. go back now and, and update their plans based on what they've learned? I mean, I, yeah. I, I did a presentation this week for a conference here in America and I called it hindsight is 2020, you know, yeah. now that we're kind of past that, we need to look back and make sure that we update our plans. Right. Yeah. So super, super interesting that you mentioned that um, because it, I come from a law enforcement world. So operational readiness plans is, is my world. So I've always had that. I've always had operational readiness plans for any business that I manage. Clearly not at the level of a global pandemic. Uh, that is next level, next level kind of stuff, right? But operational readiness plan, it's, it's about the disruption in service. So it, it can be adaptable. It, it is always about that, you know, if we have a disruption, is it a 12 minute disruption? Is it a 12 hour, 24 or three months? So that's something our business has always had. Uh, and I take absolute pride in that because it is about planning for that unforeseeable stuff. And when you do these plans right, that could be applied to any any kind of you know catastrophe, pandemic, natural natural disaster, fires. So uh, I've always been passionate about that. So Tick got that one. There you go. That's great. Well, Magda, thank you so much for being a guest today on Transit Unplugged. It was an it was a joy and an honor to meet you. I'm excited to see what you do down there, and hopefully, when I visit uh, next year, when UITP comes to Melbourne next year. We'll be able to meet in person and Ben will be with us too. And we'll, we can, ha we can uh, have some of that great coffee in Melbourne that they make. And wine, Paul, don't forget about the wine. And wine, yeah. I was going yeah. to keep it PG, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Magda Robertson, General Manager of Torrens Connect and also Ben Dvorak, my good buddy and world traveler. Thanks so much for being with us on the show today too. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today on Transit Unplugged, Comfort's Corner. We had a great look at uh, the headline news and then uh, a great newsmaker interview with Magda Robertson, finishing up our Australian series. And now we want to take a look at the future of public transportation. There's a lot going on in our industry right now as we come out of COVID. A lot of agencies are focused on how to recover, and we're going to talk about that today. But one of the ways to do that is to focus on families and children. This was the subject of my new uh, number one best-selling book, public transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and beyond. It, it did go to number one on Amazon for books on mass transit. It's now available in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So transit riders today reflect the diversity of our population, right? So we look around at those riding our buses and trains, and regardless of their age, occupation, or background, everyone's goal for using that service is the same. It's to get where they need to go on time and safely. And normally, public transit in the past has been focused a lot on commuters, people getting in and out of the city, uh, elderly folks and riders with disabilities. But today I wanna to spend just a few minutes discussing family ridership. That's right, families. Um, and as I mentioned, this has been you know, on top of mind lately since I published the children's book. And the idea behind the children's book was again to um, make children familiar with public transportation. Not everyone had the same opportunity my kids did. My wife and I have six children and five grandchildren. And uh, I've involved my children through, throughout my career and coming to, you know, bus rodeos and garages and meeting dispatchers and all that kind of stuff and drivers. But not everyone has an opportunity to do that. And so uh, a lot of times children are exposed to public transit. And of course, in some cities like Baltimore, where I was the CEO of the transit system, we transported 26,000 school kids a day, middle schoolers and high schoolers to get to school. But outside of the major urban areas, a lot of young people have never ridden public transportation. And so families are a... Uh, 
kind of an untapped potential market for some public transit agencies. There's a lot of folks without cars, uh, and uh, there's a lot of families that would like to use public transportation when they go into the city. I know my family always did. When we went into Washington, D.C., we would ride the metro into the city to show the kids the monuments. But we need to make sure that um, in order to really capture that market share of families, that we make it convenient or easy to use. Uh, so this could be, you know, sometimes there's a lack of convenient schedule in the middle of the day, right? We have peak service, uh, high frequency service in the morning and afternoon peaks when commuters are using it, but not as much in the middle of the day or even evenings like we've talked about recently on commuter transportation, where now a new marketplace for commuter services could be like trains, uh, nights and weekend service to get people into the nightlife and on the weekends for ball games or tourist activities. We also want to make sure that transit systems have amenities that are available for family riders. Um, so having enough space for strollers, shoveled or de-iced pavement at stops, or safe and clean family restrooms, or even breastfeeding rooms at uh, train stations can be the difference between a good experience that encourages families to return time and time again and solidifies their resolve uh, that, that you know they can use public transit. In addition, cost, right? We want to make sure that we have um, Incentives geared toward families and children. A lot of times there are incentive and um, lower cost programs for people who commute into cities, but maybe not as much toward families. And uh, making sure that your cost structure is set up to incentivize families to ride is a great way to reach out to them. Using mobility as a service, obviously, mass apps are a great way for people to plan their trip ahead of time and to determine, you know, are are they going to use some other type of mode of transportation to get to the bus, the light rail, or the subway, or back from it? It can help reduce uh, travel times with real-time info. That stuff is great for families. And obviously, fare payment. It's never all that fun. Think about my wife and I are riding public transit and the difficulty with six kids going in on a bus or, or a subway system, having to you know find change at a, at a, for a bus fare box, et cetera. So making automatic fare collection Available is a great way to help families really get on board quickly and easily and not stand at the fare box for two minutes while they count out uh, nickels and dimes. <clears throat> also, having travel information uh, for apps and websites is a great way to let people know what exactly is happening by a push of a button. Folks are figuring out, you know, here's all the information I need. So while family riders are maybe just one part of our entire ridership makeup, those one study found that people who ride transit from an early age are more likely to keep riding decades later. We want to um, make sure that we make our transit systems available, attractive for families to ride service. It's a great way to expand the traditional footprint of the folks who use public transportation coming out of this COVID-19 crisis. Thanks so much for being with us today on Comforts Corner Transit Unplugged. Stay tuned every week and subscribe at transitunplugged.com.